Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. I lead Faith Christian Center in Austell, Georgia. Thanks for tuning in today. I believe today's message will encourage you, inspire you, help you live a life that makes Jesus famous in every area of your life. And as a result of this message, I believe something good is going to happen in your life as you listen and as you apply it. So listen up. Here's today's message. We're doing a verse-by-verse study of the book of Acts. And so we've made it to chapter 2, verse 42. And so we're going to back up to verse 41 and continue on with our study of the book of Acts. And as always, you can find my notes on the Version Bible app. Just go to the more section and hit events, and then you'll see the notes for tonight. The book of Acts, faith experiences and expansions. So verse 41, this is after Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. Then, that, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So 3,000 people were born again that day. And what was the result? What did they do after they were saved? They continued steadfastly. As we said last week, continue steadfastly means to be devoted to, to persevere, and not faint. And so we said devotion, of course, means love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person, activity, or cause. It's the use of time, money, energy, etc., for a particular purpose. It is to be zealous or ardent in attachment, loyalty, or affection. So they continued steadfastly. This is what they did consistently, constantly. They spent their time, money, and energy for this following purpose. The apostles' doctrine, meaning their teaching. So that means they were hungry for the word. They came to get the word on a consistent basis. They went to do the word. Fellowship. We said that word fellowship means partnership. They were partnered in the mission of the early church. And in the breaking of bread, they were having meals together. Simply, they were doing life together. So they weren't living as an island. They didn't just show up at church, but they hung out to eat with each other and did life together. And in prayer. They were devoted to prayer. And one of the things you'll see in the book of Acts, you'll see different times where there are also prayer meetings and everybody shows up to pray. So we see this is what they continue consistently and steadfastly in. Now let's see what happens after all the people are saved, and this is what they're focused on, as they consistently and continue without fainting or being tired, give attention to the word, to partnership with the ministry, to breaking of bread, doing life together, and in prayer. Verse 43, and fear came upon every soul. That word fear means reverential awe reverential awe came upon every single person. Another translation says reverential awe swept everybody. So everybody in context is not talking about everybody in Jerusalem. In context is talking about those 3,000 people, the 120 in the upper room, and the other couple hundred that Jesus appeared to that were part of the early church. So in that 3,500 group of people, reverential awe swept every single person. Which lets me know that the fear of God or the reverence for God is not just something we can practice in an individual life, in a mentality, but it's something that can sit on entire groups of people. One of the things you see in the book of Acts, it also sit on an entire region of people where everybody can be in awe of God. That's one of the things we're believing for this year, that with what God does on such a tremendous level, we will all be in awe with what he does. And reverential awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And so once again, let's define what a wonder is. 
A wonder is a cause of wonder, is that which excites surprise. It's a strange thing, an amazing or unusual thing, especially one out of the ordinary course of nature. Wonder is a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, or inexplicable. The word sign are miracles taken as evidence of divine authority. These are miracles taken as evidence of divine authority. Signs always point to something. You're driving down the road, a sign is letting you know something is coming, right? So I saw this in one of the dictionaries I'm looking up. It says, signs appeal to the understanding while wonders appeal to the imagination. Signs appeal to the understanding while wonders appear to the imagination. And so it says, notice it says, many signs and wonders were done by the apostles' hands. Now we think, well, that's great. But let's back up a few verses and look at what Peter just preached to see why it's so important. Verse 22, notice what he said. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved or endorsed by God among you by miracles and what? Wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. So as we talked about before, God had endorsed Jesus' ministry with signs and wonders, and now he was continuing his endorsement with the apostles. So one of the things you can see just by this verse in the book of Acts, that signs and wonders did not end with Jesus. They kept going. And so the same way God endorsed Jesus, he was doing the same thing with Peter and James and John and the rest. So now everybody's seen the same signs and wonders that Jesus did, but instead of it being done by one man, you see this whole group doing the same thing. Now I'll go to, we'll come back here, go to Hebrews chapter 2. This is not just something that happened in the early days of the early church. Signs and wonders is what God does. That phrase is all throughout the Bible, even throughout the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give more earnest heed or pay more attention to the things which we've heard, lest at any time we've let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, talking about the word that was given on Mount Sinai and in the Old Testament and the law, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which was at first spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? Who's he talking about? Those apostles we just read about. So they confirmed what Jesus said, and it says, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with divers' miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. The phrase bearing witness, it means to unite in adding evidence. To unite in adding evidence. So when these apostles went forward and began to confirm what this is what Jesus said, when he walked with us, when he lived with us, this is what Jesus would talk about. When they went to talk about Jesus, God decided, I'm going to add my agreement to what they're saying. I'm going to give evidence to what they're saying is true, so I'm going to make sure wonders and signs and gifts of the Holy Ghost and miracles follow what they say. This is once again confirming what Jesus said in Mark 16. Let's go there. But notice that he did it according to his will. So it was the will of God for miracles, signs, wonders, and gifts of the Holy Ghost. If it was his will then, it's his will now. People say, oh, the gifts of the Spirit only operate as he's willing. Yes, but he's very willing. 
Mark chapter 16, verse 15, notice what Jesus said. And Jesus said unto them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be damned. And these signs have followed them that believe. Notice the key phrase here is, for those who believe. So now we see the opportunity is not just to the apostles, it's to anybody that believes. As you study the book of Acts, there are people who weren't apostles, who weren't ministry gifts, who were doing signs and wonders. Stephen was one of them. He was one of the deacons. In the early church, the deacons were uh, in charge of food distribution to the people who needed help. But in between his duties of passing out food, he went out to do some miracle signs and wonders. So I need to take a break of serving food. I got a few wonders I need to do, then I'll be back at three. Notice what some of the signs are that Jesus said. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, or they shall drive out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm them. Now, just so people have understanding, because people come in with all different levels of understanding, it is not saying that if you want to prove that you are from God, you need to go pick up a snake. Amen. Or it's like, well, if God's really with me, I can drink this poison and survive. That is not what he's saying. He's not talking and guaranteeing, like, you go outside in the woods, and if you can pick up a snake and get bitten and survive, you are a really holy man of God. That is not what he's saying. It's saying if you're in a situation and you get bit, you can shake it off. What did that happen? Yeah, later on in the book of Acts, Paul's gathering firewood on the island, and a serpent jumps out from the wood after it's thrown in the fire, and it bites Paul. It was venomous. He's supposed to drop down dead and swell up. Paul looked at it, shook it off into the fire, and kept moving. A sign. Because everybody started watching. It's like, oh, he's about to die. It's reality TV. He's about to die. He's about to die. He's about to die. Oh, maybe he's a god. It's a sign. Drink any deadly thing. What is that? People try to poison you because you're preaching the gospel, and then it doesn't work. Another sign. Then they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Not might be, not maybe. If you believe, you should lay hands on the sick, and when they begin to recover, what is that? A sign. What is a sign? Jesus still heals, and he's alive. Dead man can't heal people. It's a sign pointing to Jesus and what he does and who he is. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with and confirming the word with signs of following. The word then, when you look in the um, actual Bible, it's italicized, which means the translators added it for clarity, but you can remove it as well. So some people say, well, God only worked with the apostles. But if you remove that them, you see he worked with the word. And the key phrase in Mark 16 is, if you believe. If you believe what? The word that Jesus said. So if he worked with the word and you believe the word, he'll work with you. If he did signs with those in the early church who believed the word, he'll do signs in the church 2,000 years later if they believe the word. The key here is, what will you believe? And then when you talk about laying hands on the sick, will you actually step out and do it? Sometimes it's easier to step out in faith, in faith. So, oh, it's easy to use my faith at Faith Christian Center. Yes, for all of us. Well, what are you going to do when you leave this building? Will you step out in faith and lay hands on somebody? Well, pastor, what if they don't recover? Well, what if they do? Then I can get worse because you prayed for them. You know, a lot of people, they're like, oh, okay, well, at least someone cares enough to pray. 
We were in a business around here recently, and me and a few others were looking at doing different things for the church and looking at something we were thinking about doing. And this person had some type of issue in their body. They didn't know what it was, but it was affecting how they walked. And so I'm like, you know what? Before we go, can I pray for you? And so we did. And I said, well, get up and walk. So they did. They said, yeah, I feel a lot better. And the other person standing by says, well, I know what church I need to go to if if I'm sick. What is that? A sign. Just right here in the community. So they just know, oh, okay. You know, <clears throat> I know where I'm going today. What is that? A sign. But it's not just for me. It's for you. If you believe. Go back to Acts chapter 2. So one of the things we see is about this group of apostles, they believe what Jesus told them. They believe they're supposed to be doing signs. They believe they're supposed to be doing wonders. The Lord was backing them up. Verse 44. And all that believe were together, so they're in unity, they're one accord. We talked about that, how that's one of the themes throughout the book of Acts, the power of unity and being on one accord, and had all things in common. That phrase common means shared by all. Verse 45. And sold their possessions and goods, and parted or distributed them to all men as every man had need. All men, once again, by context, is referring to other believers in this group of 3,500 people. So it's not everybody in Jerusalem. It's not everybody they saw. It's in this context of these group of believers. Now, what some people do who are saved and not saved, they say, well, see, right here, Jesus endorsed communism. No, he didn't. It does not say communism here. So let me bring some clarity to it, because I almost guarantee you this 2020 election cycle, which has already started months ago. Man, I thought we had a break, but we don't. They're going to somebody in one of their speeches and say, well, in the book of Acts, the church practiced communism, so that's what we're supposed to do today. So now that you know in advance they're going to say that, here's what the Bible actually says. So let me give you some definitions. Communism. It's a political theory derived from Karl Marx advocating class war and leading to a society in which all property is publicly owned and each person works and is paid according to their abilities and needs, not to what they do. A doctrine based on revolutionary Marxian socialism and Marxism-Leninism, this was the official ideology of the USSR, a totalitarian system of government in which a single authoritarian party controls state-owned means of production. Socialism is defined as a system of society or group living in which there's no private property. A system or condition of society in which the means of production are owned and controlled by the state. The book of Acts does not endorse communism nor socialism. Communism and socialism is enforced and decreed by the state. As we see here, there is no state involved. In this instance, it was by the goodness of their hearts that they took their excess and sold it and gave to those who had need. Later in Acts, we also see a time where the Holy Spirit moved upon them to do so. So the two main differences between the book of Acts and then communism and socialism is the free will of the people and the leading of the Holy Ghost. So nowhere did God say that people can't own individual property. He did not say that. Nor did he say that you're not allowed to have stuff that's just for you. He didn't say that. But out of the goodness of these people's heart, all these people who had access said, hey, these people have need. So we're going to sell it, 
and help them out. The state didn't make them do it. No one raised their taxes to do it. No one came and took their stuff and made them do it. They had in their heart, we're going to be a blessing. And you see in a few chapters when there's a move of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost moved on people to give extravagantly. But notice it always goes back to the free will of the people. It goes back to the choice of the people. Because when you begin to violate free will and choice and make somebody do it, you get into envy and jealousy. You get into coveting. And then you break that commandment. So nowhere does the book of Acts endorse these things, even though I'm sure a politician will tell you that it does. Please don't let politicians who don't know the Bible teach you the Bible. Verse 46. So before that, look what's going on. So they're continually steadfastly in the word of God and partnering with the ministry, doing life together, having meals together, praying together. The reverential awe of God has swept over everybody. Many wonders and signs are being done. Many wonders and signs are being done by the apostles. People are giving generously, giving extravagantly. So that lets you know there's nobody in this group that has a need. And if you understand the principle of giving, if you give, you're going to reap. So that means there's nobody in the early church that's broke. And if they're broke, they're not broke for long. Because somebody else is prospering and breaking off some say, hey, there you go. You don't have a need anymore. So all needs are being supplied in the early church. And if God can supply all the needs of the early church, don't you think he can supply all the needs of a church 2,000 years later? And he got these people who are giving extravagantly. So don't you think God has caused them to reap extravagantly? Because if they keep selling off and nothing keeps coming into their hands, everybody's going to be broke. But if they're actually doing kingdom principles, giving, they will receive. They will keep prospering. Now, you have to know something else came into their hands. The church kept growing because the Holy Ghost moved again chapters later and caused more people to give. Selling off lands, plural. So they had multiple property they're giving away and selling, causing prosperity to come. So we see this is going on. And this is they continue daily, once again, in the temple. So that's where they go for the word and to worship. And breaking bread from house to house, they eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. So we see this two different times. They get in the word for the temple. That's a place of prayer. There's a place of worship. There's some scholars believe there's a place in the temple where they were met together, the early church, and received the word. But then also, they're going house to house. What is this? This is a small group-like community. They're eating together and discussing the word. You're not supposed to do Christianity by yourself. You're not supposed to do life by yourself. We're better together. That's why you need to be involved in a small group. That's why you need to get connected in a small group. She's got one. She actually has a football small group. They can start again. Okay, I'll talk since she said amen so loudly. Tell about her. So they had a football small group, and what they did is they would meet on Sundays after church. They'd discuss the word, they'd eat food, and they'd watch football. Now, it was the longest-running small group because, you know, usually small groups about an hour, hour and a half, but they watched two games, three games. And so they just gathered on a regular basis. And this person was watching them and said, you guys come every week. They said, oh, yeah, we're a small group. So a church has a football small group? And you know what that person did? They came and joined the church. Amen. It drew them in. They're like, they were just intrigued. And now they get fed the word of God because a small group met to watch football. Now, we have other small groups that operate that, you know, they're foodie groups. 
So what do they do? They go to different restaurants all across Metro Atlanta and have a great time. So if you're not in a small group, you need to get in one. So who do you talk to? Talk to one of our team coaches, and they'll direct you to one, and you can get connected because we're supposed to do life together. There's a small group that I lead, and there's a group of guys that we communicate with, and, you know, one of the funniest parts of the small group is the group text because one person says something, and then it just keeps coming and keeps them flowing, especially when we're talking about, you know, oh, man, my child didn't go to sleep yet. Neither did mine. Neither did mine. Neither my, oh, it's not just me up at 1 a.m.? Oh, look at it. Revival. So. Don't do life by yourself. Get connected. You need other believers. You know, you married couples, you need to hang out with other married couples. I had a friend of mine who's a pastor who's told me years ago, said, you know, Carrick, if you, you know, you and Raquel hang out with other married couples, one of the things that lets you know is you're not as crazy as you guys think you are. Because you think, oh, it's just us who have issues. But then you start hanging out with, oh, you got issues too. He's crazy too. Girl, she's crazy too. Look at that. We need to be in this together. Because when you're on an island, Satan will convince you it's just you. But you're in a community, you realize, oh, it's not just me. And even if you're tripping one day, your friends who are in your small group say, no, 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 step out of that. All right. Are you done tripping? All right, cool. What are you going to do now? All right, the word? All right, cool. You need to do life together. We are better together. Say, we are better together. So we see this with the practice in the early church. You can get to verse 47. Praising God. So this is a church that always believed in praising God. And having favor with all the people, God gave them favor. This is not talking about Christian people, because remember right now there's only about 3,500 Christians. So all the other Jews in the area, other people were in the area, they looked at this church and like, oh, we like these Christian people. They didn't call them Christians yet. They called them members of the way, followers of the way. They kept watching them, and God gave them favor. And what was the result of all these things in the favor of God? And the Lord added to the church Daily, not Sundayly, daily, such as should be saved. So we saw a major faith expansion on the day of Pentecost. But now we see incrementally the church is continually to grow, which lets me know church growth is not an option. Well, should the church grow? Are there people going to hell? Are there people who don't know Jesus? Are there people who just got saved because they watch TV, but they don't know what to do now? then the church should grow. You see in the book of Acts, it's continually growing and growing and growing, and God is adding to the church. God is giving favor. God is doing signs and wonders. God is moving in a mighty way. The church is connecting people. And so one of the things that lets you know that when you see a new person, don't just say, oh, look, there's a new person. Great. Introduce yourself. Be friendly. Connect with them. Tell them, say, hey, why don't you come to church this day? Why don't you come to this event? Some people just need someone else to ask them and helps them get rooted, helps them get connected. Because one of the things, you want people to feel like they belong before they even believe. So they can come here and not even believe anything about Jesus. That's okay. They feel loved. You know, people, most people won't run away from a place they feel welcome and loved and accepted. It's like, oh, what y'all believe is crazy, but y'all nice to me. Well, I'll come back next week. They don't believe anything we're saying, but I just believe the word works. I just really believe the Holy Ghost can keep working on a heathen who doesn't even want to be here because they don't believe, but they just like us. To one point, a bird is removed, huh? A yoke is destroyed, huh? 
the eyes are open, they go, oh, look, there is a Jesus. Well, how did that happen? There was a sticky church that wouldn't let just people to sneak out the door and say, hey, what's going on in your life? Oh, I'm hungry. I'd eat. We're going to eat too. Why don't you come with us? So it's more than just the pastor, the hospitality team, because they know how to grab people. They're good. The hospitality team is awesome. They're out there smiling, people grabbing, loving people. But sometimes people try to sneak by. They put up the finger and they try to sneak by. But when you notice that, hey, wow, do you enjoy church today? What's going on in your life? Is there anything I can pray with you about? How are you doing? It's connecting with people. And the more we do it, the more we'll grow together in all the good things of God. Because every one of us has gifts, anointings, and graces. And when we all work together, it flows better. We're all rivers coming together to become a flood, to defeat anything the enemy tries to do in this community. So it's more than just me and a few others going, okay, that's a new person. It's all of us going, yeah, let's connect with them. Let's be a blessing to them. One of the things we know is within Atlanta, we have half of our first-time guests that live in the area, half who are somewhere from anywhere in the world, literally anywhere in the world. But when they're here, we says, well, this is your home when you're in Atlanta. But you look for opportunities to be a blessing and connect with them. You know, you have to step outside of your shell. I told someone recently, you know, they're a person who's a little bit more reserved, but I was, I was a person I saw, so I couldn't reach them to, so I typed them and said, you go talk to them. You get their information. You introduce yourself. I said, okay, I'll do it. And the person was just so appreciative, they connected even more to the church. We have to be those people. The Holy Ghost can work through all of us to love people and connect them to where they're supposed to be. One of the things I'll share on Sunday is when Jesus looked, he saw a crowd of people as sheep having no shepherd, sheep who were scattered. When you look at the New Testament terminology and even Old Testament terminology, he saw people with no pastor, people with no church, no sheepfold. But you can work through the work, do the work of the ministry of Jesus and say, hey, come to the sheepfold. Be connected. So what if they're not supposed to stay here? Well, at least they're here until the Holy Ghost can tell them where they're supposed to be. At least someone can watch out from wolves trying to get them. At least someone can protect them so they can grow up and know where they're supposed to go. But we all have to be doing that responsibility so the Holy Ghost can work through all of us. Because we see the Holy Ghost is working through this entire church. So you go to chapter 3, and it says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. So it's a time of prayer to go up. Now, have you ever wondered why it was Peter and John going? Remember, Jesus put them together. He sent them out two by two by two. They're still doing what Jesus taught them. And then when some scholars believe, they believe Peter was the oldest and John was the youngest. Some commentaries and historians believe that John was a teenager when Jesus called him. And so he put them together with Peter and says, watch out for the young one. And so they're going together to pray. Their mind is, we're going to a prayer meeting. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, so he's never walked, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of them which entered into the temple. So back in this time, think about it. If you cannot walk, there's more than likely there is no type of livelihood you can have. And so they would, people would take him every day at this place to hopefully that people going to church will give you some money on the way to church. That's what they did. That's how he made his living. Who seen Peter and John about to go into the temple asked, 
and alms or asked for alms. He's asking everybody that goes by. So we've all had that situation. You walk in someone, somebody's asking you for money. And Peter and John replied, Peter and John, and Peter fastened his eyes upon him with John said, look at us. Now, I know most of you never said that to anybody. They say, no, can you give us some money? You didn't say, look at me. <laughs> so you know this guy, as it says in the next verse, and he gave heed, he paid attention, expecting to receive something of them. He's like, oh, cool. Sure, I'll look at you. What's up? Then Peter says, silver and gold have I none. I don't got any money to give you. You know, he could have not have anything in his pocket that day. He could have spent it all. Remember, he hasn't been fishing in a long time. He's not a fisherman anymore. And in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus paid their bills. That's how they didn't have to work. Because remember, people, these people had families. Peter was married. So he had a wife and a mother-in-law. We don't know if he had kids, but he had a family to support. So how did, how did they pay their bills? Jesus paid their bills. They were on Jesus' payroll. When you study the ministry of Jesus, Jesus had a crew. Look at Luke chapter 8. Jesus had a crew that went with him, and there were some people who traveled with them just to pay for things. So they said, no, Jesus, he ain't paying for nothing. We got this. There are people who traveled with Jesus just to do that. And then on top of that, Jesus had a treasurer. You don't need a treasurer if you only got three pennies. And you don't need a treasurer if you never make expenses. And Judas was a treasurer, and he was a thief. And so he must have had enough money in that treasury that Matthew didn't notice Judas was stealing. Because you know, Matthew was a tax collector. You know he was paying attention to that money. No one noticed. Jesus had enough in the treasury. And Jesus had enough in the treasury because it says on a regular basis he would give to the poor. Now, you can't be the poor person always giving to the poor. Because it said, you read the book of John, on a regular basis, Jesus sent out Judas to give to the poor. That's what Jesus did on a regular basis. And so, Jesus paid the bills of these dudes. I'll probably get into one future series, maybe later on this month or next month, that when Jesus sent them out two by two, he told them, leave your bag, leave your purse, leave your money behind. Leave it. Don't take nothing with you. Now, I'm not telling you to do that, to try God. Will God provide for my needs? So they know he told that specific group of people to do that. So, like, well, I left everything on faith. Well, no, there was a man of God who said there's faith, foolishness, and presumption. That wasn't faith. You could pick which one that was, but that wasn't faith. So Jesus sent them out two by two, and he says, you go into these cities. And they came back and told all the things that God did. But when we look, when they're gathered around the Last Supper, he said, when I sent you out two by two, did you lack anything? And they said, no, all of our needs were always supplied. So whether they needed a new set of clothes, whether they needed food, whether they needed money, whether they needed protection, something always happened to provide for them. Because now that you understand that I can provide for you, Go get your money, get your wallet, get your purse, get your bag. Who doesn't have a sword? Go buy one. He just told him to strap up. He goes, now that you understand I can protect you, cool. No, it's not the gun that's going to protect you. It's still me, but go get you one. And so this is what Jesus was teaching them. So Jesus provided for them. So Peter and John could just be, they didn't have any money with them. Or maybe they believe for a miracle. We're not sure. But we know these aren't broke individuals. Who seen Peter and John about to go in the temple asking alms, and Peter fastened his eyes upon them, where John said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something on them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I you. I don't got any money on me, but I do got something. 
in the name. What Peter had was in the name. See, the name is also a carrier. Because whatever Jesus can do, his name can do. So Peter says, you know what? I don't got any money to give you, but I'm carrying something that's got what you really need. So Peter went in the name, so he reached into the name and pulled out something. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. So this is Peter full of faith because this dude hasn't moved yet. Peter grabbed him and lifted him up. That fisherman's shrimp just lifted this dude in the air. And notice what happened. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. The healing was in the name. You know, one of the things I think, this is the beginning of the book of Acts. So I'm looking at what did Jesus say about his name? You go back to John. Jesus said, well, in my name, you can ask for this. And then other places, in my name, you can demand this. Because see, the thing is, they didn't ask for anything. They didn't ask God to do anything here. Did it say that Peter prayed? Did it say Peter asked God to do something? No, but he took the name and demanded something. He didn't demand anything of God. He demanded this man's body to line up. So in the name, which means in the authority of Jesus, he demanded that that man's body lines up to how that name should be. So from that name, he demanded healing, and healing came. Strength came. A miracle happened. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. So everybody in the temple standing all, because it's a time of prayer. So there's the religious people who are going to pray. They're probably praying for miracles. They didn't expect to see one. And as they're there, the all in all at what that name just did. Because as the lame man, which, healed, which was healed, held Peter and John, he didn't let them go. All the people ran together unto them in the porch that was called Solomon's, greatly wondering. A wonder had been performed. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, you men of Israel. Notice, Peter begins to do his second sermon recorded in the book of Acts. The first, mer- the first sermon is in defense of the move of the Holy Ghost. There was an outpouring during the book of Acts, and Peter begins the sermon defending the move of the Holy Ghost, and taking them to the Scripture, and we looked at it last week. So Peter's first sermon began in defense. This sermon begins in explanation. But notice both of these sermons have been initiated by the power of God. And Peter saw it. He answered unto the people, says, You men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why are you full of wonder? Or why do you look at us as though by our own power or holiness we made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus, whom you delivered up. Remember, this is not too long after that Jesus had died and was raised from the dead. This is probably the same year. So he's pointing at people, you were there, I saw you in the crowd. 
Peter might have been like, oh, yeah, you're the one I cussed at. I know you were there. I remember you. (laughs) Whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when Pilate was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. Talking about Barabbas. And killed the prince of life whom God has raised from the dead. Whereof we, me and John right here, we are his witnesses. And his name, the name of the man God raised from the dead, through faith in his name, has made this man strong. Notice that man did not have faith in the name. He may not even know the name. But Peter and John had faith in the name. And through faith in that name, They reached into that name and pulled out what was needed. For the name can do anything that he can do. And the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous run into it and they are safe. Everything you need is in the name. You've been given the right and the divine privilege to use the name. The name of Jesus is not a cute catchphrase, a magical phrase you add to your prayer to make it work. You must have faith in the name of Jesus. So when you pray in the name of Jesus, what are you doing? You're expecting to get the same results as if Jesus himself prayed that prayer. Now, to use the name of Jesus, you always have to say it no. So let's say someone began to manifest here. And it says, come out. And the demon left. Well, Pastor, you didn't say come out in the name of Jesus. But it left. I said it in the authority, though. The authority is not just the words you use. It's the faith that backs it up. So you have to walk in that authority. Don't get, think, don't get twisted that you think it's your authority. It's not your name that made it happen. It's his name. Stay in the name. Use his name. Believe in the name. Ask God in his name. Demand the enemy let stuff go in his name. You have the right to use his name. He has given you his name. You must have faith in the name. But if you want to have faith in the name, you must have reverence for the name. Because if Jesus Christ is your cuss word, you have no faith in the name. If you just flippantly say his name, there's no faith in the name. But if you want to have faith in the name, you must also have reverence for that name. So that when you say that name, you expect power to manifest. You expect something to change. You expect things to move. Now, the enemy tries, you look at him and say, don't make me say it. Don't make me say it. Don't, don't try me today because I'll say it. You have to have confidence in the name. That when I use my authority or when I say that name, whatever I'm saying and connect to it will come to pass. Because I have faith in that name. And my God gave me the right to use that name. Think about it this way. Your heavenly father gave you his name. Because, you know, even with the bank, if you have someone's name, you can get anything in the bank that's theirs. My wife has my name. Means she has all my money. 
She has everything I got because she has my name. You have your heavenly father's name. Because says God gave Jesus a name, Philippians 2, that's higher than every other name. That at that name, every knee will bow. Some translations say that God gave Jesus his name. The name of yud the name of Jehovah. He put all the authority and the power of that name that no one really knows how to say. We say Yahweh or Jehovah because we've added words to it because we don't know how to pronounce it. But it talks about that name. It's called the ineffable name, the name that's too great to be pronounced. That's too great to be said. That is too powerful. God took all that power in the name that no one knows how to say anymore and put it in the name of Jesus. That at that name, every knee will bow. At that name, every tongue shall confess. At that name, every other name must bow. Cancer is a name. It must bow. Diabetes is a name. It must bow. Any sickness or disease is a name. It must bow. Poverty is a name. It must bow. Depression is a name. It must bow. Any harassing spirit that comes into your house has a name, and it must bow. Any problem you got, got a name. It must bow to that name. And you've been given that name. So you need to use that name and watch things change just like if Jesus himself opened his mouth. Use the name and watch things change. But you must have faith in that name. Don't go, well, maybe the name will work. That's not faith in the name. So what do you do before you release a faith command? You build the faith in your heart. See, Smith Wigglesworth, they called him to cast out this demon of this young girl. She was a young girl, wasn't even a teenager yet. It took four men to hold her down. She was throwing dudes across the room. Smith Wigglesworth walked in. In the name of Jesus, come out. The girl's still acting out of her mind. He just turned around and walked away. They expected him to wrestle with the demon. It is no. I've given the command of faith. And he walked home and had some tea. And they called him the next day and says, the demon left that girl. She's sitting clothed in her right mind, went down to have dinner with her family. He said, of course. I had faith in the name. You must use that name. He said, well, I don't know what to say with that name. You get quiet before the Holy Ghost and ask him, what do I need to say? And when he tells you what to say, you use that name and say it. You speak in that same authority. And watch things change. Because just like Peter and John had the right to use the name, so do you. The same Holy Ghost who was on and in Peter, the same Holy Ghost who was on and in John, the same Holy Ghost that was on and in James and Paul, is the same Holy Ghost you have. You weren't given a junior Holy Ghost. You weren't given a junior name. You have the same covenant that they had. So you can do the same things. Just follow the same Holy Ghost and have the same faith. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah to Jesus. Hallelujah to Jesus. Come on, let's thank God for the name. Father, we thank you for the name of Jesus. We thank you for the right to use that name. We thank you that at that name everything must bow. 
Every opposing thing, every evil thing, everything of hell, everything of that curse must bow to the name of Jesus. No words, no curses of any witch or warlock of utterance of hell can prevail against that name. No cancer diagnosis, no evil diagnosis, no evil report can prevail against that name. We thank you for the name. We have faith in that name. We receive from that name. And in that name is everything we need, everything you've given us. We have a right to it because of the name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. Connect with us on social media. Our handle is at WeAreFaithATL. Follow us online at FCCGA.com. If you want to support the ministry financially, you can text FCCGA to 73256 or give online. But most importantly, we never want to close a broadcast without giving the opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you never pray this prayer, repeat after me. Meet it from the bottom now. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day you raised me from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you pray that prayer, we believe you've been born again. So if you pray that prayer, let us know by connecting with us online or emailing us at info at Once again, thanks for tuning in today. We look forward to seeing you next time. Have an amazing day.